All right, good morning, church. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. So if you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you one. They're bringing them around right now. They'll get you one that you can use to follow along in. And if you do not have a Bible of your own, just keep the one that you're receiving right now. Take it with you. And church, always remember that we have a stack of Bibles back there that we will keep full. And if you know somebody that could use a Bible and you'd like to just take one and give it to them, please do. Uh, We're learning more and more over and over again in our lives just how much this world needs the truth of God and what a difference it can make in their lives. And so don't hesitate to to grab one and hand it out. All right, this morning we're going to start by doing something a little different. We're going to play Name That Superhero. I'm going to give you a backstory, a very short backstory, because you're going to get these easily. And as soon as you know which superhero I'm talking about, just go ahead and shout out that superhero's name, all right? Um, in our family, we love superhero stories, and we get excited when a movie comes out that tells the backstory of a superhero or even a villain's backstory. We just love backstories, especially when it comes to the whole superhero world. And we're going to ta- talk about a backstory today. So let's get our brains going in that direction. You ready? Again, I'm going to give you some info. You shout out, shout out the superhero's name. Don't raise your hand or anything. This is no time to be polite. Okay. Here we go. These are easy. You'll get these. Just shout it out. Superhero number one. As a socially awkward kid, which is like 20 superheroes, this young man was bitten by a radioactive spider. Thank you very much. Superhero number two. This kid's parents were shot and killed in an alley outside of Batman. That's easy. Superhero number three. His parents loaded him up in a rocket and shot him from their dying home planet. Superman. Easy, right? Here we go. Superhero number four, the last one. Came down with polio as a child. No. (laughs) Not a superhero. (laughs) Or was he? (laughs) Later, after several failed attempts to join the military... Captain America, thank you very much. You guys are good at this, except for the FDR thing. (laughs) Easy backstories to identify. So is the backstory that we're going to look at this morning. It's not the backstory of a superhero, so to speak, but it kind of is at the same time. We're going to look at love's backstory. There is a very specific reason for us to do this. We are on a journey as a church to follow Jesus as he shows us what it looks like to move from culture to kingdom. We're exploring the contrast between what the world has to offer us and what God has to offer us. We are people who are influenced by something or someone every moment of every day. We don't have the option of of simply rejecting the influences in our lives. We are exposed to influences internally and externally with every breath that we take. Something or someone is impacting the way that we think, the way we feel, the way we act, the way we make decisions all the time. What we can do is choose to invite influences in our lives. But that's a deliberate action that we take. Our default position regarding our influences is a passive one. 
If we do nothing, we simply allow ourselves to be influenced, and it happens. But we're not just stuck in that position. We're not helpless. With influences coming at us from all directions, we can choose to have specific influences in our lives as well. Those influences, when given that kind of authority in our lives, are then invited to shape the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way we act, the way we make decisions, and so on. Love, whose backstory we're going to look at today, is a great example of this. You and I are influenced by all kinds of things that the world throws at us when it comes to the way that we think and feel about love. Words, images, people, and experiences of all kinds shape our perspective on love. Good and bad, right and wrong, moral and immoral, all kinds of influences. Today we're going to attempt to choose what influences us regarding love. Love is absolutely essential in our lives. Love may be at the top of all of our lists when it comes to what we need in life. It's something that we simply can't live without, so it should be obvious to all of us then that we really do need to choose the influence in our lives that shape our perspective on love and our experience of love. And then, in the weeks ahead as a church, we're going to look at how this influence that we choose impacts the way that we live our lives in areas where love plays a critical or central role. Like, our, like I said, our culture is going to give us something to work with regarding love, whether we ask for it or not. Some of what it gives us will be good, some bad. Overall, it is going to give us a counterfeit version of what it is we really need. Culture is going to feed us something that really can't compare with what we were designed to receive. So let's agree that we won't settle for anything less than what, we're, what we were created to live on. Let's look together at love's backstory. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Jesus had a very deep personal impact on the life of a young man named John. We studied his gospel not very long ago. In the gospel that bears his name, John referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Something about the influence that Jesus had on John stood out to him. Jesus taught John about love. Jesus demonstrated love for John. No one had a closer look at Jesus' love for this world than John did. That makes him a pretty reliable source for us to turn to in our search for love's backstory this morning. This is what John wrote in a letter to the church later in his life. This is a passage in the Bible that we really ought to be very familiar with. This is critical perspective for us. This is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. John writes, Beloved, church, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, 
not that we have loved, but not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This, this is love's backstory. And I chose this title for the message today because I think we need to come to terms with this. All of us do. Love is so important to us. So much of our joy, peace, contentment, meaning, self-worth, identity, and much more come from our perspective on and experience of love. So we'd better have a very clear picture of where love comes from then. We act and even live our lives from a perspective that has love originating from us. I am the source of love in my life. What comes out of me as an expression of love originated with me and my feelings. I give and receive love based on whatever state my heart is in. Sometimes I'm really good at love. Sometimes I don't love very well. Our dictionary defines love as an intense feeling of deep affection. Sometimes I have that deep affection. Sometimes I have the opposite feeling. But my identity hangs a lot on how well I'm experiencing and expressing that intense feeling that we call love. Well, according to John, love comes from somewhere other than my feelings. My feelings are certainly involved, and that affection is definitely part of my picture. But honestly, I don't want this level of responsibility. I, I want to be able to love better than I know I can. I know I have limitations. I know that I fall short in this. I can't create in myself the kind of love that I was meant to receive and give. As a source of love in my life, I am not that reliable. 
And so John's words encourage me greatly. John gives us a vision of love that we need to invite to influence us in a big way. And that's what God wants for us. But besides looking at what this vision of John has to offer us, we also need to look at the current cultural influence in our lives and call it what it is. Our culture gives us a vision of love as well. This is some of what I get from our culture that that has an influence in shaping me and my understanding and experience of love, and it does this for all of us, I think. These are some of the, the aspects of the influence that culture has on us that we need to confront. I'm told through all kinds of media that love is my right. I have the right to go out and experience love, both receive it and give it, on my terms, in my way, and with my right as my motivation for experiencing it. Love is something that I'm owed. Love is an experience that I deserve to attain. And through this mindset, I naturally place myself at the center of my existence. Others are there to provide it for me, and I should expect that of others. Love becomes a commodity that I work to acquire, and I manage in terms of giving it away if I choose to do so. This is part of my right to happiness. Culture leads me and the people around me to believe that love's highest expression is sex and possibly but not certainly marriage after that. Love is physical and emotional. Love is disposable. And ultimately, without being directly told this, I'm influenced to believe that love really has nothing to do with God. But the emotional benefits that love promises me outweigh all of that, so I go after it. Even if all I get to experience is living vicariously through the next reality TV star who pursues love under the watchful eye of the camera. And you may think I'm being a little harsh right now, but I'll tell you why I'm giving us a very negative look at culture's version of love. I'm doing this because I'm angry. I'm personally sick and tired of how the world around me is being distracted, deceived, and misled into a counterfeit experience of something that's at the very heart of who God is and what he desires for his creation. The world's getting ripped off. People are empty, unfulfilled, and hurt. The garbage that they're being handed regarding love is causing them to miss out on something all of us were created to experience. And unless we see that, we'll never feel the need to offer them something else. In some of the places that I've lived in in this world, I've watched people drink filthy, contaminated water that does not provide what their bodies need and even results in hurting them. Their bodies need clean, healthy water. Love is just as essential to our lives. People shouldn't have to settle for brown water from a tainted source. We were made for more. We were made for the pure, nutritious, life-giving water that is God's love. And so John, led by God's Spirit, 
writes a letter to the church in which he points them back to the love that they were created to experience. This is his vision of love. This is the influence that we should choose to receive. This is the spring of pure water that we can draw from. This is what God intends for all of us. This vision offers us so much more than culture's version of love. Let's talk about the love that John describes in 1 John 4. Have that open in front of you. Look at what's there. Right away, John points out to us that love is from God. That's love's backstory. Love originated with God. That's where it came from. How? Well, John tells us that as well. God is love. So love comes from God. God is love. God is a verb. God is an action. God, by identity and definition, is love. Would we ever describe God the way our culture describes love? Never. The contrast is is stunningly obvious. God rises so far above our cultural understanding of love that the two should never be mentioned in the same sentence or paragraph or book or language. I wish so much that we had in the English language a different word for love than the word that we use culturally. God is love, but he's not the love that we're being offered by the world. He is something altogether different to the point where I I wish he'd make the rest of the world use a different word. If we say that God is love, we run the risk of stripping God of who he really is if we don't detach our cultural vision of love from the word love. We have so much work ahead of us in redefining for the people in our lives the word love. Thank God that we have his spirit in us who who opens the eyes of the people around us to see more than the world's definition of love and see love for what, for who it really is. God. John goes on to point out that love is evidence of our relationship with God and that's critical That ties love to God for the people that we know. It's not just a definition. It's an action. It's evidence of God. John saw God's love in the gift of Jesus. No one had a closer look than he did. God expressed love to us through Jesus. That's the origin of love. Not our feelings and our acts of affection. God loved us. It came from there. God loves us. It comes from there. John points out the the obvious. He says we can't see God, but God can be seen in the love between us. That's powerful. God is present and discovered when we love John connects God's presence in our lives and witness through our lives with the practice of loving each other. And remember that he's writing to the church. Our love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ puts God in our midst and makes him visible to everyone who can see us. And when we love, look at what John offers 
Culture can't possibly offer this. When we love, we stand before God in confidence, not fear, because we are doing in this world what Jesus did in this world. And standing before God as we love each other is a confident place to be. We stand before God living as Jesus lived and God looks on us with joy and gratefulness. We're communicating his gift to this world. John gives us this great statement that reminds us of of the order of things. He writes, we love because God first loved us. Not because we're such great people. God thinks that we are great people. He does. So he loved us and in that reality, We love him and we love others. Let this be a reminder to every one of us to go back to the truth of God's love for us first. Always first. Let me expand on that a little bit. I have had far too many days in my life when when I didn't feel loved I get down on myself for all the things I don't do well and all the ways in which I don't measure up. On those days, I'll get in the mindset that I have the right to be loved and without expressing my expectations, I'll expect the people around me to give me the love that I'm owed. Now, guess how loving I am towards others on those days? Not. So the answer to this that I, I need is, is, is that I, I need to love myself better, Right? A little self-talk about how awesome I am and how I can believe in myself. Well, let me tell you how that works out because I've tried it. I end up loving myself less. I cannot possibly be the source of love in my life. Me loving myself doesn't get me far. And honestly, in those times when I think I'm succeeding at loving myself back to feeling loved again, guess where I end up? Alone. This can't possibly be what God has in mind for me, for you, for his creation, for his beloved. When we don't feel loved. Love does not isolate us. Our response should be to reach out and take hold of the truth that John gives us in 1 John 4. God loved us First, God created us in the midst of a world that doesn't love us. It's a broken world filled with broken image bearers. At best, for now, we are broken reminders of a reality that has never ceased to be true. That reality is that God loves us perfectly, boundlessly, always, in every moment, no matter what's happening in that moment. God saw us once as broken image bearers, all of us, and he acted on that love that he had for us and will always have for us. He acted by sending Jesus to win over the brokenness. He sent Jesus to offer us the life that he has always had for us. He sent Jesus to take our place under God's wrath. He sent Jesus to rescue us. He sent Jesus to restore us to himself. He sent Jesus to love us with his perfect, boundless love. 
long, long before we could ever have even had a thought of loving him, God loved us first. Love originated from God, not us. So when I feel like I'm not getting the love that I have a right to, guess where I need to go? It's to the source, to the perfect, pure spring of living water, to the only logical place I could go to get what I need. I go to God. I go to love himself. And how do I prepare for that journey? I don't. I just go. Just as I am. Nothing I do or say, nothing I wear or recite as an accomplishment, nothing I prepare as a speech or a request, I just go. Broken and messy, I go. Scared and lonely, I go. Angry and hurt, I go. And I find exactly what I need without having to do anything to get it or earn it. I find God's perfect love. Never withheld, never reduced, never seen as a reward, never used to manipulate me. It's just there because God's just there and God is love and God loved me first. In light of all that, John says, How can we not love our brothers and sisters in Christ? In God's love, I have value. Culture's love makes me question my value. In God's love, I am always worth it. Culture makes me ask if I'm worth it. In God's love, I'm secure. In our culture, I wonder if I'll ever be secure. In God's love, I can freely give love because my tank is always full. In culture, I worry whether or not I'll get enough. In God's love, I have peace. In culture's version of love, I live in fear. Love in God's kingdom is based on his character. In our culture, it's based on my performance. In God, love is being perfected in me. In the world, I'm trying to perfect love myself. In the kingdom, I love because God loves me. In culture, I love hoping to be loved in return. In the days ahead, we're going to talk about some some areas in our lives where love plays a central role. A kingdom perspective on love really ought to impact these areas that we're going to talk about. Areas like marriage, family, friendships. We need to go into these conversations with the kingdom's mindset regarding love. Culture is going to fight that mindset and we have to be ready for that fight. And then we're going to get into some harder levels of our love. And we'll have to look directly to God for all this. And we will. Why would we ever choose a place of insecurity, questioning, doubting, grabbing and taking, searching, having to perform? Start your understanding of love with God. Don't start with you. 
God in you means you are loved and you will love like he loves. But with you at the center, with me at the center, we'll always be in need. We'll always be searching. We'll always be grasping at something elusive. You know, culture culture will tell you that you have value, and I appreciate how that's become more a part of our culture. But culture can't possibly provide the value and worth and security and peace and love that God can. God is love. Church, put him at the center. If God's at the center, love's at the center. And that brings security to our lives. I am loved. You are loved. God loved and loves you and me. Now, John reminded us beautifully in our passage that the cross is one of our strongest reminders of God's love for us. This is where our perspective on love has to start. God loves us, so he sent Jesus to take our place under his wrath towards sin. That has implications in every way in which we give and receive love. So as we share communion this morning, our mindset is really clear to me. This time, church, just listen. God is saying through the crucifixion of his son, I love you. This is assurance of his love for us. There's no stronger way to say it. God said, I love you when he sent Jesus. God said, I love you when he unloaded his wrath on Jesus. God said, I love you when he tore the veil and made a way for us to come back to him. That, that's where love came from. That's love's backstory. It all starts with God and his love for us and the rest falls into place from there. And so thank him this morning. Love him, praise him for his love for you. It's perfect and boundless. It's how and why we love. I'm gonna invite the elders to come and the worship team as well as we prepare to share communion together. And as they come, just try and get your head there. Just get it to that place. Get your heart there to where you're listening for what God is saying through the cross. The message is so clear and it's so loud and it's so personal and so real. God is love. And what God says to us through the cross of Jesus Christ is I love you. So let's pray together as we prepare to share communion. And I encourage you in this quiet moment to just listen. God's spirit is telling you right now that he loves you.
as you come and you take the, the bread and the cup, listen to God's love in the pain. Listen for God's love in the sacrifice. That should have been you and me. How much does God love you that he would put his own son on that cross in your place? That he would pour out his wrath on Jesus, that he would turn his back on his son as his son became sin for every one of us. Just listen to him tell you this morning how much he loves you. Father, we are humbled once again by the reality of your love. A, a reckless, relentless, unstoppable boundless love for us. How you could look on us and in full awareness of how we fall short. Take so much delight in us that you'd put your own son on the cross in our place. Father, I pray for every individual in this room right now that I know that there, there are many out here right now that do not feel loved, that have gone through a week where they're just not experiencing that deep affection that they've been promised. And I ask that you would speak to them so clearly right now that every single one of us would come before you this morning and hear the words, I love you. And invite that influence into our lives to shape and mold and establish our perspective on an experience of love. God, will you do that for us this morning? Sink your love deep into our hearts. We receive it with gratitude. We receive it with thanksgiving. We receive it with humility because we don't deserve it. you give it freely thank you for loving us thank you for Jesus we come now to remember him to remember him on the cross his body and blood given for us to bring us back to you to forgive us to make us clean and holy because you love us. Thank you for your love. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.